All right. Wow, we're here, guys. Should we do this? Should we make it happen? Thank you, guys, for being here. My name's Kevin Sturdivant. I'm the owner founder of Case Real Estate and Project Mindset. So uh, just so you guys know, what, what's Case? What's Project Mindset? So Case and Project Mindset together, we're a personal development and real estate company. So we're inspired to work with people on their big dream in life. And many times, naturally, what comes next is their dream home. But sometimes we're just working with people on their big dream, and that's a lot of fun too. So we end up working with all kinds of entrepreneurs, people in the action sports industry, health industry, and we're just a group of people that are about making a difference in people's lives. If real estate happens to be a part of that, great. If it doesn't, we're good regardless. So um, if you're here, I'm going to hallucinate that you're here because you vibe with us. You know what I mean? Maybe something we put out on our social media. Maybe it's just the song that we put out. Maybe you like the song. Maybe you like the intention. Maybe you just vibe well with the energy and you get that. This whole game that we're all playing, whether you're in escrow or title or real estate, it's actually not about us, right? Like our time here is really short. You know, I have a 17-year-old now, which blows my mind because that's how old I was when I got the news about him. And I swear, I talk to him all the time and I'm like, dude, I swear, if you even come close to making me a grandfather, I will kill you. But having kids, who's a parent here? Who's a parent in the house, right? You really get how quick, how fast life happens. It's like having a real life calendar in front of you all the time. And I think when you have kids or, you know, you, you, you just start to see like, man, this isn't about me anymore. And that's kind of what happened for myself in my career is once about 2015 came around and I really started to get everything I've always wanted to get from real estate. I just started to think about, well, what else? I'm supposed to do something else. And that's how Project Mindset was born. So Project Mindset is our version of Landmark Education and Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Keller Williams and all this stuff meshed up together, mixed with better shoes and a better soundtrack. And that's how Project Mindset is, it was born. And so I just want to uh, make some noise for all of you. Give yourselves a round of applause for being here. All right. This. Uh, this is the first in a monthly series that we're doing, a monthly mogul series, a monthly mastermind series where we're just like, you know what, about a year ago we started to kind of close or I should just say tighten up the case doors as far as um, inviting people into our mastermind sessions. Uh, we just started to kind of tighten up the team. And at the same time, that was important for our growth. I really started to miss the dynamic of making a difference for other agents. So this is a part of like getting back to those core roots that we have. This isn't about recruiting anybody to case. This isn't about signing you up for some subscription thing after this class. Uh, we have nothing to sell you right now. We should start selling shirts or something soon. This is straight up just for vibes, just for energy, just for the intention of making a difference, and also for highlighting greatness, highlighting awesomeness, highlighting people who have gone from breakdown to breakthrough. And I've had the opportunity to witness that a lot over this last year and a half. So there's a certain individual that we're gonna be interviewing that I feel has really, uh, possess that, that ability to go zero to a hundred, like zero to a hundred tonight. That's actually what I wrote down on my notes here. Uh, so we're going to get started. This is the art of going zero to a hundred. That's what I experienced in my personal life. At least that's what it felt like. You know, in 2011, I sold like $2 million in real estate. That's like one or two homes or four homes. Um, and then in 2015, I sold my first 47 million, which 47 million times two and a half percent. You get it. it. It felt like it happened quick. 
And then I started to coach agents on beating me. And about a year ago was when I really started to get nervous that that's actually going to happen soon, I think. And so I call this the art of going zero to 100 from pizzas to Porsches, because that's what this individual did. And I watched him really rise. Uh, wasn't, I wouldn't say overnight, but it was a lot faster than the 15 years it took me. And there's a couple things that I wrote down that I feel were a part of how and why he did that. Number one, I would say it's, he was about the craft. So I wrote down, be about the craft, not the check. If there's one thing that I see agents, title people or entrepreneurs, escrow people, whoever fall off and why, it's because they were so focused on the finish line. They were so focused on the trophy. You know, imagine being in a 26 mile marathon and all you're thinking about is crossing that 26 mile mark. You're gonna miss the experience, number one. Number two, you're probably not even gonna finish it. It's too hard. To really succeed, I feel, as an entrepreneur, as an agent, you have to be about the craft, not the check. Number two, I would say is he was consistent even after the Porsche, right? A lot of times they're consistent, consistent, consistent till they make their first six figures, till they get their dream car, till they get their dream house, and then they disappear. It's one of my biggest fears running a team where the average age is 25, 26, I'm the old guy, seeing somebody receives a 50,000, 60,000 or six-figure check. I don't know if my brother-in-law is here, but he was the first person on our team to actually hold on to a six-figure check. And when that happens, I actually have an immense amount of fear because I'm just wondering if they're going to show up the next day. And sometimes they don't. And they truly disappear off of the face of the earth. I see an occasional Instagram of them in another country. And I'm like, man, I hope they're okay. <laughs> this individual stayed consistent, kept showing up even after that. Uh, number three, he's somebody who was and is authentic. I think in real estate, it's very easy to feel like, well, let me be real estate guy. And he's not only authentic to who he is, but he's also authentic to his past and understanding how he thinks the way he thinks, why he thinks the way he thinks, his strengths and his weaknesses. And he doesn't hide from them. He faces them head on and actually uses them to his advantage. Number four is he's inspired. To do this game, I think it's very easy. I, I teach a philosophy called be, do, have. Who's familiar with be, do, have? And it's easy to get caught up in mixing those words around. Sometimes we get caught up in have, do, be. Meaning, you know what? When I have the car, then I'm gonna kill it, right? Or when I have the house, or when I have the marriage certificate, then I'm gonna be a good spouse. No, it, it actually starts now, it starts today. And this individual had that ability to see himself in the future version of himself and actually step into that energy today without being there. And I believe that's one of the core principles you have to have down in order to really experience a quantum leap. You've gotta be able to tap into that greater version of yourself tonight. And number five, he's somebody who is just committed to doing work. Sometimes you can't find the motivation to do the work, so you have to do the work to actually get motivated. And I saw this individual many times reach out and just say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I can tell he was like needing to catch that wave and we would just go and do work. So number one, be about the craft, not the check. Two, be consistent, even after the Porsche. Be authentic, be inspired, and just do work. Make some noise for Carter Kaufman. He's there. Awesome, man. So first of all, I am uh, super proud of you. It's been incredible to watch it, to see it. Um, so before we get into you know, the numbers that you're doing, because that's insane, and the actual uh, niche that you're finding and in, in, in what you're creating in your career today, currently, 2018, tell the group a little bit about um, how, how it was for you. You know, like, what was it like for you growing up? Um, 
I, I like to include uh, like a fairly intimate view of, of my background. Uh, I'm not a stranger to public speaking, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, I, I basically was born and raised in a super normal family, right? Uh, I had a white picket fence in front of my house. I had a little brother. Uh, I was good at sports. I was always told, like, yo, you have like a lot of potential, which also means you haven't done shit yet. Um, and uh, I was given every opportunity, right? But for some reason, I always felt like different than everybody else. Um, I felt like everyone got this like handbook on day one, like, hey, this is how you're gonna go ahead and live life. And like everyone stood in line and got the handbook, and then I got up to the front, and they're like, dude, we're out of handbooks. And um, man, I remember, uh, I remember being. Yeah, I remember being uh, on the playground one day. I was like probably ten years old, and I'm looking around, and everyone's got white tube socks on, and I like look down, and I have gray tube socks on, and I was like, "Fuck, I can't even wear the right socks," you know. Um, so I always just felt a little different. Um, the part of my background that that is the reason uh, I'm no stranger to public speaking is I'm in recovery. Um, I'm an addict, alcoholic, uh, and I, I speak semi-regularly to, to groups of people this large or larger um, about recovery and, and my journey. And um, it's interesting, uh, I'll have nine years clean and sober next month, and... <laughs> a round of applause for doing exactly what I'm supposed to do, which is not <laughs> drugs and alcohol. Uh, so anyway, I, I think that, that that part of my story is also uh, part of what makes me, I'll say, do okay in real estate is like I always want more. You know, like I, I have this insatiable appetite. But at one point, it was like all I was, all I wanted to do was have the bottom of the bottle, and uh, now I just want that next one. Um, so I'm in constant pursuit of it. Um, and I'll just tell you, like I, I wasn't the kind of guy who like wanted to enjoy like a Bud Light on the balcony. Like I went out at night, like searching for alcohol poisoning. Like. Um, when I checked into rehab, I was 120 pounds, uh, 50 pounds lighter than I am now. I was told by the person who checked me in when I took my year chip that I was the sickest human being she'd ever seen in her life. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't tell you that because it makes me, you know, uh, whatever it does. But like, if there's a, what seems to you uh, or to me or to whoever, this insurmountable obstacle in front of you, it, there's nothing insurmountable as long as you surround yourself with good people. And, and that's something that I try to do uh, with real estate as well. Just make some noise for that. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, my, I, I actually lost my father to his alcoholism. And one of the things that he would say, and I think about Carter a lot when uh, I, I think about this quote that he said, but he, he would say, it's not about the success one achieves, but it's about the adversity that they had to overcome to arrive there. And, you know, when I think about it, it's like, man, especially in Orange County, to tap into the luxury market while still having those challenges. So what, what were some of the biggest challenges that you saw growing up and, and what, what do you think ultimately led you to get into real estate? Some of the biggest challenges, honestly, like I, I grew up in an affluent community in not an affluent family. So, like, everyone I was around, like, it's funny, I, I saw something on social media the other day that said, uh, Ski Week, it, it, in, in Newport, it's Ski Week, and in Costa Mesa, it's Stay Home From School Week. Like, that was, like, true for me, right? Like, I, I didn't grow up in, like, this big, fancy house. Like, I grew up on a nice street, and all my neighbors had, like, all the cool shit for Christmas, you know? Like, all the neighborhood kids, we'd all get together, and, uh, like, they'd have, like, the Razor scooter, or, like, the, the, the what are the things now, like, the, the hoverboards or whatever, and I'd have, like you know, a new pair of shoes, like, like, like less cool, you know? Um, so I guess coping with some of that, right? Like feeling like everyone else had it going on. It's something I still feel like. I'm gonna, like I look out at you guys, I'm like, fuck, all these people have their shit together. And I'm sitting up here like I don't. And uh, um, so, yeah, that was a challenge. Just yeah. feeling like everyone got this handbook or got this golden spoon or got, you know, every, I felt like everyone had something given to them uh, or, or, or learned how to do something and I just was incapable. Yeah. And so what did that ultimately lead you to doing? I mean, how many, how many years did you wrestle and battle with those challenges, those addictions? I mean, I'm, I believe I'm never going to be cured of being an alcoholic or an addict. Like, I'm an alcoholic or an addict. It's just like before it was alcohol and now it's like knocking on doors. Or, right. 
or or investing in a property or or you know doing the next cool thing like something like this like this I, I, I this is the stuff I dig I get after this stuff now I get after speaking to groups of recovering addicts and alcoholics now um, yeah you're definitely addicted to prospecting yeah it's awesome <laughs> what a good thing to be addicted to yeah yeah so what happened dude I mean how did you end up getting into real estate so. Uh, real estate was always a conversation in my house. I said, you know, I grew up in, in an affluent community in not the nicest house. That house was a duplex uh, surrounded by single family homes. Like the only duplex in the neighborhood. It was just weirder. When I grew up, our stairs were outside and we had two kitchens. And the house was, you know, almost 100 years old at the time. Um, and so my parents, naturally, you know, to move into a duplex as a family, like you kind of have to have like open-minded folks, right? Like there's got to be some sense of like, well, this could be kind of cool. And so like real estate uh, was always kind of a conversation in my household. Like my mom would bring me to open houses and like my mom taught me like creaky floors are cool, old leaded windows are cool. Like, like this garden is cool. And uh, she really made sort of a little Shangri-La out, out of our old crummy, fallen apart ass, mold infested house. Um, I remember <clears throat> one of the kids I played hockey with uh, his dad is a very, very famous billionaire, and uh, I'd go over to their house occasionally, and uh, it's funny at the time, like, a lot of people in here are in real estate, and it's like, they lived on the cliff in, like, literally the most affluent community in Orange County, and I don't even remember being impressed by it, like, we're not raised to be impressed by these, these houses that we represent, and then he would come over to our house, and he would tell my mom, man, I, I really love coming over here, like, this house is so cool, so real estate, design, um, the fact that something old and crummy and falling apart could be cool before all the flip shows on TV mm. made it cool um, it was just something I was raised around so I was like damn real estate's cool like houses are cool dwellings are cool when, how old were you when you started to think about real estate as a career yeah I don't know probably 18 okay yeah and how old were you when you officially got your license two and a half years ago so 26 so from 18 to 26, yeah. was it something you thought about? Was it like, man? Uh, I like ordered the box of books, you know, and like read like a, several pages. <laughs> I probably still have it, the Allied Schools box with all the text in it. Nothing's been filled out. Um, so what do you think, like what caused that shift, right? Like what were you doing in between 18? Because how old were you when you got sober? So you're 20 years old, yeah. and at what point were you just over your, your job of delivering pizzas? Where you said, all right, I'm going to actually take the test. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Uh, man, it, it's funny because there's like, there's like jobs that a lot of people have before we get into real estate or before we you know, start that brand or before we you know, go full-fledged into music or whatever, like, whatever it is that we're doing. Um, for me, the pizza job, it gave me everything I needed. Like, literally everything I needed to survive. Yeah. And it would have, per perpetually. Like, I, I I was able to pay rent. I was able to have a decent car. I was able to occasionally go on a vacation. I was able to go buy shoes if I wanted them, you know? Um, but it was like, that's where I was going to stop. And I told you guys, like, I'm addicted to more. Whatever more is, like, I want more. And so I... I and I, Man, I think about that all the time because I see the way you are now and how much you're chasing it. And I think about that. So were you, like... Just trying to deliver pizzas faster back then Dude. or make them or like, were you just the most, because you know, you're an extraordinary human being. Yeah. So were you just like, was your picture up every month at the Employee pizza the spot? Uh, I used to do like, I used to drive this old Volvo wagon when I first started delivering pizzas and you could fit mad pizzas in a Volvo wagon. <laughs> and, and like, not only that, but I was like Jenga, like I would like try to like, you know, I would like move my seats around to like fit the most pizzas I could in my car. Like I remember like prom night, right? Everyone's ordering pizza and I'd be like, yo, I'll pick your shift up, you know? Like, I, I, yeah, I, I wanted yeah. more. And I think that's effective to, to take a look at and to consider, right? Is how you are in one area is how you are everywhere. So you notice he was being extraordinary as a pizza delivery dude. I was super good at delivering pizza. Wow. Like actually literally. That's amazing. So what what shifted then? Because you're good. You're killing the game, delivering pizzas. You're like the world's greatest pizza delivery guy. I think 
had this realization that, <clears throat> I don't know, man, like, you, you look at, like, shoot, I, I hate to be, like, 80 years old and be, like, the world's most legendary pizza delivery person. Like, yeah. I just wanted to explore more, I think. I wanted to provide more. Um, at, when I got into real estate, I had been with my wife then for, uh, well, she's still my wife. She's here with our baby. Um, <clears throat> but I'd been with her for something like five years, so I think what sort of started to eat at me was like, damn, I'm never gonna be able to provide that like, that like experience, like the life experience, like the home ownership, like the, like the nice car, like mm. the nice vacation, like the, like the, I'm gonna just surprise you and like, like buy you a new wardrobe, like just like, I wanna do cool, like it was about her really, like I wanna provide for her. Right, I get that. And so really what I think, and what I see happen is you went and you did pizza delivery as, good as you possibly could, and I think you just peaked. Yeah. There's only so far you can take that. Right. You peaked. So how did you get in, right? What happened? What was the process of you? Because this is a room of a lot of real estate people. Who's in real estate in some way, shape, or form in this room? Okay, cool. So we can all relate. How'd you get in? Um, I took my test. I was waiting for, like, I took the test without submitting some like vital paperwork really is what happened. So they're like, Hey, congrats. Like you passed, but also you forgot this thing. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh great. You know? So I sat around and waited for a little while and I had this like thought, like <clears throat> I want to go zero to a hundred. Right. And so I didn't want to like start the race on day one. I didn't want to show up on day one and be like with my suit and my tie and my yeah. case and be like, all right, I'm, what do I do now? Right. Um, so I was like, I'm going to get as educated as I possibly can, uh, through experience. Uh, before I even start. So like day one hits and I'm like, like I'm, I'm going. Ready to go. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I shot you a text, obviously. I waited on, meditated on this text I was going to send him for. We still have it. I wish we could put it up there. It's pretty good. Yeah. Is it a text or a DM? It's a text. It's a text. Uh, it's the first text. It's still on my phone. Like if I scroll all the way up through my text messages the last time. I've had like three phones since then. Yeah, for sure. Me too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I shot you. One of my buddies was like, Hey, this guy, like, I don't know. Like there was, I never wanted real estate for me to be stale. Like I never wanted to be the guy who, who just kind of moseyed on around, you know? And like, I mean, real estate, like it can be like boring and kind of depressing. Like only recently did they start making TV shows about it. Right. Like I didn't want to feel like I was just average Joe real estate guy. And so one of my buddies was like, Hey, you should check this guy. Kevin out on Instagram and like I looked at his page and I was like I'm not even gonna follow that dude it's just like too depressing because he's got what I want and then something I learned in recovery was like surround yourself with people reach out to people who have what you want um, not necessarily in a physical sense but in a spiritual sense like what do you mean dude <laughs> yeah like definitely well you didn't get my drift right um like like somebody who's got it going on, someone who seems happy, someone who's moving forward, someone who's got the cool family life, um, like a cool car is a plus, right? But but somebody who's doing what you want to do, going the direction you want to go, like those are, that's a lesson I learned in recovery. And uh, so I was like, finally, like screw it, I'll send him a text. Like, thank God you responded to it, because who knows where I would have ended up. It was up. a legit text. I get a lot of texts, DMs from people, and I'll scroll through their Insta first, and if one of the first few. Is like them, you know, hitting a bong. I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's not going to be the case. But I, I, I look through. So as a, as a, as a reminder to people, as you're reaching out to people, make sure your social media game is on point. Because I did do a quick scroll. I'm like, oh, he's in the jujitsu. Oh, he's got a lady. Oh, it's good dude here. Yeah. All right. Responded. So thank God he did, right? Because I'm the kind of person who, I don't know, like maybe I would have been discouraged. Like maybe I would have been like, dang, I, I do have the wrong kind of socks on. You know, um, it's a it's a perfect analogy for how I feel like not irregularly. Um, but guys, isn't that interesting, right? Like this socks thing is legit for him, and I think that's something to be aware of. Is I learned this in landmark education, so I've gone through a lot of the landmark forum. I've completed their whole curriculum twice, and I'm still a mess. You know, but in Landmark, we realize that there, there's this thing that happens where usually between four to seven years old, something occurs and you actually tell yourself, I'm this, whatever that thing might be. And then we create a defense mechanism, 
right? For me, I can go, go back to February 15th, 1987, and my dad told me something. And in that moment, I told myself, I'm worthless. Like, I'm worthless as a five and a half year old. And I remember through, there's photos of me in kindergarten, like ironing my clothes. I would always iron my clothes. I would always clean my shoes. In skateboarding, I had to always show up a certain way throughout my whole life and when making six figures when I turned 18 years old. That was to cover that up. And what happens is when we have that chip on our shoulder and we're trying to cover that thing up, it actually never goes away. And you have, it's like trying to build a mansion on quicksand. But when you get present to it, and you get present to that story of I'm worthless or I'm stupid or I'm not good enough. The reverse side is that there's this defense mechanism. There's this um, kind of winning way of being that we develop. And it's like our winning formula. My winning formula is, well, let me show you how awesome I am then. Let me show you. And it's this thing that I have that I do that is completely unnecessary. Like I'm trying to show up in a certain way to people who don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody needs to see that. Um, But it's amazing how when you really get what that thing is and you start to chip away at it, I think that's where the ability to just be present to people lies. And um, it's interesting. That that's that's some that was your thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, what if I screw up? Yeah. Like, what if I'm not enough? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what happened after that? You're like, hey, I'm doing this talk. It was like not unlike the one we're at now. I'm doing this talk. Uh, roll through. It'd be good to meet you. And I'm like, all right, cool. And like, I showed up the next. I think it was the next day or two days later or something. I didn't even know. Like, I had no plans of like I'm starting real estate today. And I showed up in like probably the only colored shirt I had. And uh, that was my first day. And I've been literally full-time ever yeah. since that day. Did you have your license already? I didn't. Yeah, so then you had to go through, finish it. Yeah. Yeah, awesome, man. Make some noise for that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and so what was it like for you in the beginning? Because we'll talk a bit about where you are now. What was it like for you starting off straight out of the gate? Like, I'm just going to sell multi-million dollar homes right away. Did it just happen for you instantly? Or? No. Everyone says, like, have a six-month reserve uh, before you jump into real estate. And I definitely didn't. I was working at a pizza shop. It's hard to save a bunch of money doing that. Um, <clears throat> but I, 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 again, I had no interest in, in having this sort of mediocre real estate career. And so it was just like, I remember Kevin asked me early on, he's like, what do you think your average sales price is going to be? And I was like, I don't know, a couple million bucks. And he's like, where do you think you're going to sell real estate? I was like, coastal Orange County, like baller houses, like cool properties. And he was like, and he just let me run with it, right? Like a lot of people have this misconception, like, oh, I wasn't raised in that neighborhood. Or like, I don't really know uh, how to talk to these people. And it's like, they're all just people. It's probably refreshing that they have someone coming at them like me, who's like not, not, you know, like just got done at the racetrack, you know, with my like, you know, sterile ass, like, like get up on. See, that's an interesting way to think though, right? Because for me, I didn't have that story that, you know what, maybe it will be refreshing. It took me 10 years to actually break through that story because for 10 years, I kept the story of, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. I grew up in the hood. I didn't go to school, like literally did not go to school. There's no way that I can be that person, right? There's no way. I'm just going to, those are just going to be homes that I read in the magazines. Little did I know we would start selling those homes that were in the magazines. But for Carter, it's interesting how he actually created a new story. I think that's one of the important things that we need to do as agents, as parents, as entrepreneurs is recognize the make-believe story that we're telling ourselves about why we can't do what we want to do. Because that's always the case. There's something that we want to do, and there's a make-believe story in the middle of it, something on the lines of, I'm not enough. And as soon as we can break through that, it's game time. And it sounds like you broke through that. How long did it take you to break through? 
uh, I don't know if it was relatively quick or not. One of the things I, I think about and that I say is like I threw my hat over the fence or I cut the parachute off or I, we were talking about the movie The Sandlot when the dad's Babe Ruth ball goes over the fence and there's the beast back there and the beast is like all of you and like, and, and like these luxury listings and like these high net worth clientele and it's like, damn, like what am I gonna do? I have to go get the ball. I have to go get it. And so I removed the safety net. Part of why I think I did well is like I didn't, I didn't allow myself to create Plan B. I didn't keep you know one night a week at the pizza shop. I didn't like even before I'd ever closed the deal. Like, right. I was like, we were in escrow, like I said in the video. Like, yeah. And I was like, I don't even know if this thing's gonna close. But like I didn't give myself that option of returning. So like, real estate had to work, and so it did. Yeah, that's huge. And it's not like you were a trained salesperson like I got lucky right I was raised by two legendary salespeople my dad was an extraordinary salesperson doing multi-million dollar deals uh, in the underworld in the mid 80s right doing such a great job at uh, his sales that um, he he was put away and sentenced to 20 years that's how good he was <laughs> Somebody, the, the, the government said, you're too good, you need to be in a closet for 20 years. You have to be really good at selling stuff for that to happen. That was, that's a part of my DNA. Then you have my mom. If anybody met my mom, my mom is the kind of person where I would come home in high school and there would be some random person in our living room, some lady, and I think, who is this? Like, oh, I met her at the gas station. Da, 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 da. <laughs> what? My mom is like Oprah, Dalai Lama, like mixed together, just an incredible human being. So I got lucky. Carter didn't have that type of upbringing of sales right away, right? right. But what I really saw in you is that you committed to the craft, like you committed to the script, the learning, the schedule, the consistency, day in and day out. What was your first major breakthrough? How long were you in it to where it was like, is this really happening? Probably six months. Yeah. And I listed with Kevin Self uh, this crazy property in a neighborhood that I was unfamiliar with. I couldn't even tell you the name of the neighborhood. Um, and I was just like, wow, like, now I have something really great to go tell all the neighbors about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like finding that, that first one. Um, I didn't like choose a pocket or choose the neighborhood specifically that I was like, I'm gonna make this mine. It was like, okay, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the universe guide me to where it wants me. I'm gonna get something really cool like this listing and I'm gonna have a really great reason to go leverage it and talk to all the neighbors. Yeah. So how'd you get it? Knocked on her door. Knocked on the door. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And how'd that conversation go? It's like hey I have a client who's looking in the area. Yeah. AKA Kev has a client. Greg. Yeah. Greg. Shout out Greg. He didn't end up buying it, but shout out Greg for helping me get this listing. So we practice the art of leverage here. In real estate, I think it's easy to come across as let me take this thing from you. Let me take, let me take, let me take. And, you know, nobody wants to feel like that. That's why we run from salespeople, right? Why you run from salesperson is a salesperson is not showing up as how can I help? How can I serve? The salesperson is showing up like, let me take this thing from you. And you can just smell the commission breath. So what we practice at Case is the art of having something real and then taking something else that's real in terms of real estate, right? And basically meshing those two things together and talking to people about it. The reality is though, guys, it has nothing to do with what you're saying. You can go to someone's door and actually just verbally vomit and make no sense whatsoever, but who you're being is how can I help, how can I serve, and you're actually going to create a good conversation out of that. That's what, happened. That's what you did. Yeah. How many doors do you think you had to knock on before you and I were on that appointment? And calls? Just how, how many human beings would you say you were talking to on a daily basis? I made it my goal when I was new in real estate. They're like, whoa, how many contacts are you going to make today? I was like, I literally want to meet everyone. 
Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't even want to dissect it any more than that. My goal is to meet everyone, just everyone. I want to meet every single human. We have a program as well that in the beginning, just to give you guys an idea, it would set you up to make about 50 contacts a day, about 250 contacts a week, and about 1,000 contacts a month. So mind you, by the time we had got on this appointment, Carter had already talked to about 6,000 people, meaning about 5,500 people had probably told him to F off. Just to get into the state of mind you have to be to really break through, and the type of resilience you have to have to really be a boss and not have a boss is a big difference. Because you can get into the game and be a buyer's agent or be whatever and just kind of like be directed all the time. Or you can straight up be a boss and say, you know what, this is what I want. But you have to know you're going to deal with a lot of rejection. Yeah. And so we were on that appointment. Do you remember what we did before that appointment? AID. We did the AID process. Yeah. So share with the, the group here, what's, what's the AID process all about? We actually just did the AID process in my office before yes, this. AID is appreciation, intention, and delegation. Appreciation is <clears throat> sort of declaring with regularity. Some people do it every morning. Um, declaring to the universe what you appreciate. I appreciate, you know, my family, my friends, God, uh, opportunity, uh, the people I work with, my wife, my daughter, you know, the fact that I can walk on my two feet, the fact that... You know, my car starts when I turn the key. The fact that, you know, I, I, I can lock my doors at night and rest my head and, and, and get a good night's sleep, you know, or used to be able to before I had my daughter. And, uh, shout out to Stella. Shout out Stella. Homegirl. Uh, and uh, so you declare to the universe, you know, I appreciate all these things. So, so we sat in the car, right? We're, we're, we're getting ready to go into our appointment. And I'm like, all right, dude, what do you appreciate? He talked about it. I said, all right, Kev, what do you appreciate? I talked about it. What's the point of that? Why? Why do you have to do that? Well, we're always wanting more, right? But the challenge is if you're wanting more and who you're being is missing more, then your energy is lack. So you'll never actually attract more from an energy of lack. You have to actually tap into the energy of more, which is grateful, inspired, like content. And once you actually can feel that energy, well, now you're in alignment, right? And then intention, we stepped into the intention piece after that. And what's that all about? The intention is, <clears throat> what is your intention for this, this meeting or this get-together? And obviously the intention was to get a listing, but like beyond that, what's our intention? To how provide? do we intend to feel? How do we intend to feel? Um, I intend to feel confident. I intend to feel grateful. I intend to feel um, clear. I intend to feel knowledgeable. Uh, all the things that a seller would be looking for, right? In my particular field, um, all the things that they want from me, that's who I intend to be. That's how I intend to feel. So number one, appreciation. That piece is about just getting in that vibe, getting in that energy. You know how some people, they're just always feeling good? Like, you ever know somebody who it just feels like they're always up here? And they do appreciation naturally. And look at that person's life. They just consistently win over and over and over, right? They might not even know that they're actually doing that process. That's just who they are. And then the intention piece is declaring how you intend to feel. Because we're not, it's not gonna happen automatically. We have to put that data in and choose inspiration, choose gratitude, choose loved, choose confident. That's what we did. And then delegation. Delegation, will you tell them what delegation piece is all about? Delegation is like delegating to the universe, right? Like the way I phrase it is I thank the universe in advance for. And I just say out loud, like, what, what, is, what is the goal here? What, is, what would be an awesome end result? Um, so for that listing appointment, it was probably something along the lines of uh, I thank you, the universe, in advance for letting us leave with a signed listing. Yes. Letting us be knowledgeable and provide value and leave these sellers feel uplifted, inspired, and confident and clear that Kevin and I are the right people for this job and just getting clear on that. <laughs> I'm cracking up because I didn't have the time on that appointment to study the comps. And so I just figured, look, dude, I'm going to do my thing. When it comes to the comps part, you, you say that part. Because, you know, that's it's basic. Cover the comps. You remember what happened? Basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we bombed I, I at that piece. <laughs> and I blamed it all on him. <laughs> well, it was my fault. Yeah. I quoted her two and a half million. I was like, yeah, yeah so. Because that's what the comps 
stated that, that uh, in that pocket, $1,000 per square foot is normal, right? She has a 2,500 square foot home. Yeah. How much should the home be? 2,409. Right? Smaller than 2,500. <laughs> so we were being nice at, at 2.5. Yeah. He shares the info on the comps. And <laughs> she's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Oh my, oh. And she's just losing it. And I'm... Like this, I'm like, oh my god, he's bombing this. I just, let, I just watched it for a little bit. I watched it go down. I was just like, kind of enjoying it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so. She was, we were this close to getting kicked out of the house, and I'm like, oh well, you know, here's the thing. We flipped it, however. I don't know what we, you know, it's kind of like Will, um, Will Ferrell in the movie um, Old School when he's doing the speech and he's doing the debate. You know that, that debate part where he blacks out? Yeah. You put me in a certain situation and I just black out. And so I just blacked out. I said whatever. The whole thing calmed down. We walked out of the appointment with a $3.9 million listing. And I'm like, well, dude, at least we have a listing. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and what happened? It sold in like 25 days for 3.825. So the lesson, here's the lesson. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you know. You know what I mean? Seriously, though, it's about who you're being, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Kev says, like, if you're being grateful, inspired, energized, uh, I would say knowledgeable. In that case, we weren't, yeah. or I wasn't. Um, but here, the reality is in studying the luxury market, and especially Laguna Beach, I've sold in literally 50 different cities, from Laguna to Dana Point to Los Angeles, to Bel Air, to everywhere in between, to all over the Inland Empire. Laguna is very similar to a Malibu, where it's a coastal luxury community that anything can change from a north view to a south view to this pocket to that pocket. And so it's very, it can be very difficult to price a home in Laguna Beach. And um, in that situation, we were definitely wrong on comps. Yeah, but we were able to win the client over and do a test and see what happens. Yeah. One of the things that I think was like, obviously there's all kinds of training that everyone goes through for any particular career. In real estate, one of the most important pieces of coaching I've ever received is get super comfortable saying this line. And you're gonna probably say it a lot for the rest of your career, because everything's changing. Prices go up and down, new laws come into place. You know, sign regulations, this, that, and the other thing. Like all kinds of stuff. Get really comfortable saying, I have no idea, but I can find out for you. Yeah. When I was new, I thought every single person was going to be like, you know, I'd go like, hey, there's a, I don't know if you know your neighbor's house sold uh, for this price. Isn't that crazy? And they were going to be like, how many square feet was that? And I like thought I needed to know every single detail, every single market, every single law, every single material. Like I remember we got this listing and I'm like, I have no idea what kind of doorknobs these are. And I was like all stressed out about it. And it's like, now I know after working with, with some, some like high, high net worth individuals and, and luxury properties is like, they don't know either, you know, most of them. And it's like, I don't know, but I can find out for you. And they're like, cool, let's yeah. get back to them. It's awesome, awesome. So since then, right, how many million dollar transactions have you had and what other, what other crazy transactions have you had? I don't know the number of it um, in my first year. I did roughly 9.7 million mm -hmm. in volume. Last year I did over 15. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, I think I've closed, I don't know, roughly five with another like 19 in escrow. 19 in escrow. <laughs> Chris Jones, title rap is pretty hyped on that. <laughs> That's crazy. What do you think you'll finish this year volume-wise with? My goal's 40. Yeah. I think you'll beat that. I definitely think you'll beat that. I'm one of the people who's trying to beat Kev. Yeah. I don't think you'll do that. <laughs> but I do, think, I do think you will absolutely beat how much time it took me to get to that. Because I got into the game in the year 2000. And I did my first 47 million in 2015. So it took me 15 years, and you got into the game in 2015, and you're going to do this in 2018. It took you three years. So I retract that. Yes, you're absolutely beating me. Yeah. But I'm closing 100 mil this year, so. 
It's incredible. Guys, is that insane or what? Make some noise for this guy. So what's life like now, dude? What's it like? I mean, what's the difference? How's it feel now? Is it a total cakewalk and easy? Not at all. No. Doesn't get easy at this point? No. I oh, know. New levels, new devils. It does not yeah. get easier. Yeah. More money, more problems. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm, in, I'm inspired and I'm grateful on a daily basis. I'm healthy. My wife's healthy. My baby's healthy. She smiles when I smile at her. I get to tell her good morning every morning and she smiles like... I mean, if you look at it from the outside looking in, like I've told Kev several times, I still don't feel like, like, like worthy of sitting up here, you know? Um, I try to be humble, I guess, right? And, and, and my goal for this whole thing was like, maybe I'll say something that'll help someone, even if they don't come up to me after and be like, yo, that helped me. Like maybe they'll get in their car like, all right, cool. Like if he could do it, I could do it. Um, but yeah, it's not easier now. Um, it's, uh, it's still the same as it was on day one. There's just yeah. different, there's just different, different checks. Yeah. We were talking about it in there. It's actually scary to think you got it. Like that point when you feel like you made it, that is a very, very scary spot. For myself personally, three months after I told myself I made it, I actually relapsed and I risked everything. I risked the company. I risked my, the family. I risked my, my life. Right, and I think that is something that I'm, I'm never, I never want to tap into that energy of thinking that I've got it all figured out and I got comfortable. It was right after uh, I made, I, I made that mark. Right, I closed my first fifty million. Our company was this, the house was this, and the 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 car and blah 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 blah. And I practice something called the seven equities. The seven equities are a huge part of my life. Seven equities are mind, body, soul family, friends, business, and money. And when I relapsed, I had to go back to the seven equities. Mindset, well, yeah, that's there. Physical, well, I don't have a six pack or anything, but I'm doing it right there. <laughs> Spiritual, now we'll skip that one. Family, yep, family's awesome. Social, yeah, social life's awesome. Business, money, yeah, that's all awesome. But my spiritual equity was totally non-existent. Besides going to church every other week and like, showing up really late to me it's not about like religion it's about a relationship so my spiritual relationship with god was not there and i just started working on it and recognizing where something was missing in my own life and just started doing work you know and then committed to sobriety immediately this uh, april for me will be two years this dude has been a big part of that first time i've ever been sober for that long since i was 13. yeah and you know, it's a scary thing to chase something, get it, whether it's a car or a dollar amount, a house or whatever, and then realize and look around once you're there and say, this is it? This is it? This... Right? It's actually an empty feeling. The goal, the key, the gold, I should say, is the process. One of my favorite quotes from Russell Simmons is, don't think that there's going to be gold at the end of the road. Instead, value the process and realize that the road has been paved with gold all along. And when you really find something that gives you life, that gives you fulfillment, not in the check, not in the destination, but in the process, it's game time. All you have to do is continue showing up to that craft and doing that work. Yeah. So what else? Uh, buying my first property. Yeah, dude. My first three properties actually in a package. Crazy. I followed up. It's pretty crazy. Cold calling works, by the way. Uh, I cold called this guy like two years ago. I'll just tell the story because it's kind of cool. It's part of my shift, part of my like metamorphosis. I cold called this guy like two years ago in Laguna, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not selling this one, but I have this one in Costa Mesa. Um, I might be selling that one." And I'm like thinking in my head, "I'm like, oh, I have somebody who would buy that." So I kept following up with this guy. Hey, I have a buyer. Hey, I have a buyer. Hey, I have a buyer. You know, all through 2015, 2000. Uh, 16, 2017, and then one day I was like, the phone was ringing, and I was like, dang, I don't know if my guy's still gonna want that, and I was like, fuck this, I am the buyer. I was like, that was like one of my moments, I was like, whoa, like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a buyer. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, look, I know that, you know, we've had this dialogue going on about this property, and uh, I, my buyer may or may not still be interested, but I don't really care, because I want to buy it from you, and he was like, interesting, and 
It's like, I have these other two, and I'm going to package them up and sell them to you and give you this ridiculous deal and, like, seller finance them to you and all yeah. this kind of crazy stuff. And it's like, this guy cold called this guy. Yeah. You know? And now he's loaning me <laughs> basically a million dollars. Yeah. How cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So cool. But I think what we find depends on what it is we're looking for. So when you're looking for a breakthrough, when you're looking for something awesome to occur, you can't help but find it. The challenge is we show up to the game and we lose. And next thing you know, you start to develop this story of like, well, it's not going to happen for me. And it's subconscious. And I think you have to get present to that make-believe story and then ask yourself, what do I really want? Right? What color is it? What's it look like? What's it taste like? When does it happen? And I believe 100% that the moment you ask for something with clarity, I call it manifest prime. The moment you ask for something with clarity, just get out of the way because it is coming to your doorstep. Good or bad? Good or bad? Because our energy is our request to the universe of what we want more of. You ever, anybody have any friends who are just like always angry and they're always attracting angry people? They're like, God, I don't know why everybody's just so rude all the time. Everywhere I go. Mm. You know, I am constantly surrounded by awesome, inspired people only. I have found the people in real estate who know what's up with good music, have a great sense of style, and want to inspire people. Look around. Look at it. This, isn't, this is an unheard of group in real estate. Make some noise for yourselves. It's a small group, but I would much rather hang out with a group of 30 to 40 to 50 awesome people with good energy and good vibes than hang out in some weird seminar with a bunch of weird people. This is the rare group, right? Awesome, man. So if you were to give a tip or two to somebody that's in pursuit, right? Looking, seeking, what's that tip? First of all, I'd like to say I'm still in pursuit, right? Heck yeah. Like, like I don't know, I, I vibe just as much with Kev as I do with the guy who's like barely going to close his first deal. Um, I would say that along the lines of like, we're going to get beat up looking for business. It's one of those things where you get beat up all day long. And not to do another baseball analogy, I'm a baseball fan, by the way. Um, guys like Dickie Mayo, guys like Babe Ruth, guys like Mike Trout, guys like Hank Aaron. Those guys all failed seven out of ten times. And they're the best in the world at what they do, ever, of all time. In the last hundred years, the best you can possibly be in baseball at the plate is to fail seven out of ten times. So... I mean, even if we're failing, the best. The best. Wow, that's cool. The best in the world. And so I kind of look at it like that. So for every guy who slams the door in my face, like I'm one step closer to that guy who's like, that's so crazy you're here. And I look inside and he's got like Zillow up on the screen, you know? And that's happened. It's happened a lot of times. Yeah, so crazy. Awesome, man. What else? Anything else? Any other tips to that person besides stay in the pursuit? I would say don't give yourself a plan B. If real estate is something you want, don't, don't, don't keep your shift at the whatever place. Don't start making t-shirts. Don't start, you know. Luxury lotion things. brand. Don't do a luxury lotion brand. Don't invest in some random screen protector for your phone, for phones or whatever. Like, don't give yourself a plan B. Because, like, that safety net will always keep you feeling like, oh, I've, I've, even if this doesn't work out, like, make it so it's got to work. Like, the, everything else. That's huge. Everything else is lava. You know what I mean? Real estate has to work. Everything else is lava. Everything else is lava. That's awesome. Series two, session two that we're doing in the month of March is actually a really, really cool story about somebody who um, had a little bit of a plan B, right? And held on to that plan B her entire first year. And the big breakthrough came the same month she actually lit that plan B on fire. So I'm really looking forward to that. But um, you guys, let's make a huge round of applause for this guy sharing his story.
I told everybody this would be wrapped up at 7.30, so I'd like to honor that. And so we've got a little bit of time to uh, do a little bit of Q&A. Anybody have any questions, comments, hallucinations? Now's your time. Scott? How, how uh, I know you guys are not lifting up right now, but 2.9 comps. 2.5. 2.5. Yeah. 3.8. Where were you off? So I would say that we were off mainly in, uh, I would say the number one thing was the architecture, right? So it was a highly re re renowned architect and it was a work of art. You know, it was an architect who has sold creations that went as high as $35, $40 million close by. So it's like getting a Basquiat for a deal. We weren't aware of that. I would say that it was, in hindsight, it wasn't just about square footage. It was design. It was a single level home where no, no other ones exist, on a flat lot where no other ones exist, with a pool where no other ones exist, with a view where everyone's got a view, and it's also walkable. So there's yeah. like literally eight homes that have, that have the view and the walkability. None of those other ones are single level. None of the other ones had a pool. None of the other ones uh, were designed by this guy. So it's just this... And it's one of those things, like, we wouldn't have known that without living there. Mm -mm. It wouldn't have been like, wow, this is so crazy, unless you'd spent a long time there or had somebody tell you. I think a bunch of, I think everyone else would have got it wrong, too. I really do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because if it, if it wasn't for Carter setting that appointment, I don't think I would have really tried to get the listing. But because Carter brought me on it, I'm like, we got to get this. I have to get this for Carter. I thought it was going to be a total waste of time, and he was just going to have something cool to talk about. Um, ended up being a great sale. Record setting. Record setting sale. Highest closed dollar per square foot in the history of that whole community. Yeah. yeah. So it's also something that we do when we get it in these situations on a certain property where let's do a test then. I said, you know what? Here's the, here's the deal. This might be a test. And as long as you're open to re-evaluating price in 30 days, we'll absolutely take this on at this price. And so that's what we did. We did a test. And I said, I hope you pass. We would absolutely, we wanted to sell for 10 million. So let's see what happens. Next thing you know. Yeah. All right. Any other questions? Got time for one more. One more question. Anything else? We'll do one from Paul. My daily routine shifts now because I have a four-month-old. But now my daily routine is um, I'm up. You guys are gonna not like this. I wake up about eight thirty. God. <laughs> but I'm okay. Everybody been up for four hours. Uh, but I work late too. Like I'm answering emails, texts, everything till like ten o'clock. This guy shuts it off at six. So yeah. right now my baby needs me in the morning. Yep. His kids need him at night. Um, so I wake up like, I don't know, 8.30, um, shower, go get a smoothie. I'm in the office. I try to be here by 10. Um, I get on the phone. Every day it's about making phone calls. And like part of, I think, what helps me, um, somebody like Kevin, if you, always, if you hang out with Kevin enough, he's always saying, my new thing is, my new thing is, my new thing is. He keeps it novel for himself. And hey, like, we added a new thing today. Where's Francis? We're always adding something new. There's always something new, and it keeps it novel. And uh, one thing that I've been playing with is like, I get in my way a lot, and I'm sure us as salespeople, we get in our own way a lot. Like, the, we're our own worst enemy. Like, I wouldn't kick it with myself if I told you the negative stuff I think about myself. You know, like I wouldn't hang out with that guy. Um, so I gotta keep tricking myself. Um, I gotta keep telling myself a new story <coughs> about why I show up and how these phone calls are gonna go. And like, my latest thing, my new thing, is like I'm not trying to find buyers and sellers. I'm trying to call people and I'm trying to make friends. That's it. I'm awesome. just trying to meet cool people who vibe with me. And it's like if I'm calling about real estate, naturally it's going to turn into leads and turn into deals. But I just want to call people and make friends. So I get on the phone, throw on my headset, I walk around here, I pace. Yeah. Like I probably walk five miles a day on the phone. And uh, I'm just calling my friends. That's it. Keeps it low stress and no pressure. And if they tell me to buzz off or if they tell me they're going with a different agent or they tell me whatever they're going to tell me, um, I tell myself, okay, I want to be successful. If I look five years from now back at this phone call and say that's the thing that prevented me from being successful, then I was never destined to be it anyway, right? Of bombing a phone call, bombing a listing agreement, bombing 
you know, an opportunity, saying the wrong thing is not what's going to prevent me from, from being successful and being who I want to be. Yeah. So I got to remind myself that when things don't go my way, that's not what's going to stop me. That's not what's going to stop me. That'd be crazy if that phone call was the thing that stopped me right. from realizing my goals. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Make some noise for that. Hey guys, well thank you for showing up. This was the first in a monthly series that we're doing, highlighting a legendary agent that I know. Uh, I, I enjoy the opportunity of, of showcasing extraordinary human beings. I think you're really gonna love the person who uh, we're sharing in March. The story is incredible. It has a lot to do with burning that bridge behind you, with throwing that hat over the fence, and just going for it. You know, we're all in this thing together. So um, if I have any requests, it would be to uh, be conscious of the energy that you put out to people. You have, you know, you never know who you might be impacting. And as a group, as a crew of people, as individuals, let's continue sharing that good news. Right? Let's continue being authentic about where we're at. If you're in breakdown, if you're stuck, if you're in a funk, own that. Right? I play a game called Recognize, Realize, Recreate. Like, recognize that you're actually in a funk. Tell somebody. Realize the real lies. Realize what's the story that you're making up about that situation. And then trust and know that you actually have the ability to recreate that. But it doesn't come until you realize that you're the one who created it in the first place. And you actually have that ability to stop and say, you know what? That's a make-believe story. That's not real. So what am I committed to creating? Inspiration, focus, belief, power, abundance, fearlessness. Let's go, right? So let's keep it moving, guys. Stay focused, stay inspired. Thank you for being here. We'll be chilling for another 10, 15 minutes or so. And uh, give it up one more time for my dude, Carter.